Welcome to the Grow My Salon Business podcast, where we focus on the business side of hairdressing. I'm your host, Anthony Whittaker, and I'll be talking to thought leaders in the hairdressing industry, discussing insightful, provocative, and inspiring ideas that matter. So get ready to learn, get ready to be challenged, get ready to be inspired, and most importantly, get ready to grow your salon business. Hey, it's Anthony here, and welcome to today's podcast. Today is the second in a series of podcasts that I'm doing where I'm talking with people that represent the trade media. I always find that the media representatives have an interesting insight into what's going on in the world of hair and beauty, and many of them also have a multi-purpose role, not just as publishers of magazines, but they also facilitate awards and various industry events. Now, in episode 173, which was the final episode of 2022, I spoke with Stacey Sobel from Salon Today to get a North American perspective. On today's episode, my guest is Linda Woodhead. Now, Linda is the founder and owner of the Mocha Group, a multi-layered media company and publisher of magazines in the Australian hair, beauty and barbering space. And as well as that, they also facilitate events and awards in the hair and beauty industry. In today's podcast, we will discuss how the role of the hair and beauty media has evolved over the last few years, the impact that the internet and social media have had on traditional print media, and the trends around recruitment and the changes in industry events, and lots more. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Linda Woodhead. Thank you very much for inviting me. My pleasure. It's really good to have you here. Um, I want to start off before we get into things, Linda. Uh, I mean, I have the pleasure of knowing you, but a lot of our uh, audience uh, outside of Australia will not know you. So uh, can I get you to begin by giving us your sort of two minute backstory of uh, how you got into the industry? Yes, absolutely. Um, look, I've been in publishing my entire life, I think. I started in publishing when I was in my early 20s, um, actually back in the UK. Uh, emigrated to Australia um, in 86 when I was 23 um, and worked with a couple of publishing houses over here uh, and then launched my first magazine, uh, which was in the music industry. I had a street press weekly newspaper um, that was very hard work. I think weekly weekly newspapers were, were hard work back then. So um, moved into that, then had a various number of different publications. I dabbled in the hair industry um, for somebody I knew that had a publication and we uh, looked after the print on license for that for the first few years. So I sort of got to know the industry, I guess, a long time ago, but launched um, my business that I currently have now, which is the Mocha Group, um, which is basically a media marketing events publishing company for the hair, beauty and barber industry with magazines, online, socials, EDM, and all the rest of it that now comes with it, as well as um, four major awards for those four, uh, for those those three industries. So um, okay. a, a small company, a boutique kind of business, um, you know, that we assimilate very much with small business owners because we're one of them as well. Um, mm. So, yeah, that's pretty much in a nutshell. Okay. Well, I often think that the, the media side of the hairdressing industry has a really interesting insight or overview of what's happening in the industry as a whole. But like every business, the media has had to 
adapt a lot to uh, changes, um, you know, technology changes. And then over the last couple of years, you know, COVID has had a, a further big impact on all that. But particularly the technology side of things, over the last 15 or 20 years, the internet and social media has had a huge impact on the publishing industry. Uh, so talk to me about how trade magazines, specifically your magazines, Hair Biz and the other magazines, have pivoted because you know, I know before we started recording, you, you you mentioned that you were a publishing company, but very quickly it transitioned into a media company. So talk to us about what that means. Um, look, I think we've had to evolve massively because of the changes, obviously, within media and the way that people can communicate. Um, I think we also have to look at different generations as well and the way that they communicate. We have a responsibility, I guess, um, you know, as a trade business to business company predominantly, um, even though, you know, we are dealing directly with hair salon owners, beauty salon owners, barber, um, barbershop owners. We've had to look at ways that we can communicate with them for our clients and our clients predominantly are our advertisers and those are product companies, whether they are selling a product or a service, we need to communicate on their behalf through our media channels. Um, because the industry has changed and, you know, if we go back and it's not that long ago, if we go back, you know, 15, 20 years ago, everybody just read magazines. It, it, mm. it really has changed very quickly. Whereas now people will get their information and their news from a myriad of different ways, whether that's social, whether that's email, whether that's a website, whether so, so for us to remain relevant and um, be able to still make a living, I guess as well, we have to move with those changes and we have to look at probably more than most how we can, um, you know, take responsibility for the money that people pay us to get a message out and how we can best do that. My main aim is that if I have a company that I go to see or any of my staff go to see um, and, and they want to have a certain result within a certain period of time, we have to achieve that result and give them a return on their investment. And if we just had a magazine print, that's not going to do it anymore because we're dealing with a market that look at, all sorts of different areas um, and will, you know, I think it, it's not a new concept to me. It's a little bit like when I first started in publishing um, and you used to go and see somebody to try and sell them advertising. You used to talk to people about how people would spend money in print, in radio, in TV, in, you know, flyers, in mailboxes, all the old fashioned direct mail things. And so people did spread their budgets in different ways. Nothing's really changed. It just means that they're now spreading their budget across different media channels because we now have the ability to do that through the internet and through websites and through emails and through socials. So for us to stay current and relevant um, and still get budget, basically, it comes down to having to um, offer all of those mediums to everyone and learn about that too because this is something that you know it was new to everyone we've all had to learn it you know young people um, have kind of grown up with it we haven't we've had to you know I think the world at the moment is such a a huge changing place probably bigger than I've ever seen before whether it comes to technology whether it comes to humanity whether you know all those different things that we're all learning um but 
I guess the bottom line is to, to stay in business, you have to evolve. Um, and that's what we've had to do um, to make sure that we've got all of those channels for everyone to get the content from. Okay. You, you very consciously have talked about different generations and, and, and young people. And, you know, it occurs to me that in this industry, you have two very different audiences um that you have the business owners the manufacturers etc that you deal with uh, the salon owners and they will generally be of one generation whereas more and more so the majority of this industry is it's always been a young person's industry so more and more so you're going to be dealing with um you know gen z that they are also your market although they may not be the market that are spending money with you today they will be the market that are spending more money with you tomorrow so I suppose what I'm thinking about as you're talking about that is in terms of magazines, do you think that young hairdressers today have lost interest in magazines because they're now more interested in the spontaneity and the instant, you know, the instant thing that social media brings to the game? Like, what are your thoughts about that? Um, uh, look, I think number one, I think salon owners even though we are very much and always have been about talking to business to business salon owners, salon owners are getting, I mean, we're getting older, but they're definitely getting younger. Mm -hmm. I think people are, you know, um, and, and that's now kind of in a good way. I think they are becoming a lot more savvy than what they used to be. Um, you know, we can see how well the business is going because when we send our magazines out, we get those returns back for closures of salons. And so it's quite an interesting way to look at how business is going in general. Hair mm. has always been a lot higher than beauty, for example. Um, hair, you know, on average, there's about a 10 to 12% churn rate. So so 10 to 12% of salons will close down pretty much every year. Mm -hmm. um, I think up until about maybe maybe five, six years ago, um, we, we were still growing. We're not really growing much anymore because the same amount that are closing that are coming, you know, coming back in as new ones or they're being taken over or whatever. Beauty has always been probably closer to about six to 7%. So it's less, mm. but I think that's also because the business owners, even though they are also still seeming to be younger, you need to have a lot more money to open up a beauty salon nowadays because they are more of a clinic. They have, you know, equipment that, costs hundred thousand dollars plus so it's not just opening up a twenty thousand dollar salon it's like this is kind of big business barbers definitely got hit hard um through covid because i think when we here i'm not sure what happened in other countries but we were restricted on how many people they could have in their shops and salons when you're dealing with 25 to 50 dollar per head and you can only have three people in there as opposed to 10 that makes a massive difference. So we saw a bit of a decline, but that's now kind of come back up again. I think for me with the message to the age and generation of people is a lot of the salons that we're talking to from a business perspective, um, you know, they are salons that, not all of them, but they are salons that are really nurturing their staff. Um, you know, we have our awards as well, and we have categories in those awards for young people, for apprentices, for cre new creative talent, for, you know, I, and I think that at the end of the day, the salon owner is the person that's going to spend the money and therefore my advertisers want to get to them. So I have to do my job of that. But at the same time, I'm also having to send messages to 
younger people because they are the salon owners of the future and also they are our entrance to our awards and they are growing. Um, mm. You know, we have a couple of young um, competitions. One's called Hot Shots for Hair and one's called Beauty Squad for, for Beauty. And, and that's very much about really nurturing the young ones into a different kind of thought process, I guess. I mean, I think, you know, everyone talks about skill shortage. Everyone talks about how hard it is to get staff. I don't think I've ever not heard that conversation in the 20 years that we've had this business. You know, that that isn't changing. Um, I think there are quite bad figures over here for not so much the number of apprentices that are coming in, but the ones that are completing. I think people are changing their way of thought with who they employ. Um, but I do think when it comes to print, um, at the moment, from what we can see and from what research we do, which is purely based on, you know, telemarketing to salons, and that could be somebody could pick up the phone who's a receptionist, not necessarily the business owner. And we asked the question, do you still want to get the print magazine? Because if they all said no, it would save me a fortune. I mean, mm. we would probably have to charge a bit less in advertising, but if we went fully online, we wouldn't have print, we wouldn't have post. Um, but it's a resounding 100% yes, we still want to see the magazine. But, so, um, but that's the owners. It, is, that, is that the owners or the staff? It's, or you it's the it's whoever answers the phone we normally right. ask them straight away and then yeah. we will say to them you know if you can speak on behalf of the owner or we will ask to speak to the owner but when i personally go into salons um and looking at you know even just when we when we do stories that like you know when we put out a magazine um we we also have a digital online version so we send that out on our email um, database. So that, you know, so for hair, for example, um, that goes to like 14, 15,000. For beauty, it goes to um, around 10 to 12,000. And even though, you know, I think we were talking before we, we started sort of the, the podcast, our open rates are good. But when you look at how many people actually look at the magazine, a lot of people go to go to the online version to look at it. Um, and they're on there for a reasonable amount of time in terms of impression and how long they spend on a page and that kind of thing. But but it's not huge. It, mm. The percentage is quite low um, if you think about how many people that goes out to. We find that, um, you know, if we do a story in the magazine and then we share that link to that page to the person that we've written about and that could be about somebody young it could be about somebody 20 21 22 and we've done an yeah. interview with them about their career path or whatever they will share that link and quite often it's funny because even though they may be the ones that are embracing social more so than the older ones because they share it we get more hits on that than we would do on maybe a 50 year old business owner who mm. might share it um because they don't have the following. Sure. So it, yeah. it's kind of weird because it works quite well on, on either way. Um, you know, I'm sure that there are young hairdressers and beauty therapists out there that, you know, may not be interested in looking at the magazine. But then, like I said, our magazines have always been more so about um, the business owner. Our other content creation, which is through social and that that's more for the the young ones. So if we go to a salon and do a bit of a walk through a salon and we make it a real, we make it really cool and fun. And, you know, um, 
a lot of that for us in terms of a business strategy means that we are also all over socials. So I'm currently getting phone calls. We've been really, it, it's been a very big focus. Um, I brought in a new general manager in um, August and and his, he's had a huge focus and, um, you know, an influence, I guess, in, in what we've been doing lately. And it's, he's younger. It's much more about, you know, talks about eyeballs all the time and all that kind of stuff. And what's happening with that is that I'm getting calls from companies that we haven't done business with for a long time who are mm. ringing saying, Oh my God, you're just everywhere. We need to be a part of that train kind of yes. thing. So how many, um, how many issues do you do a year of the magazine? Um, we've got 16 in total. So hair biz um, is six a year. Beauty biz is six a year and barbershop is four a year. And right. that's been the case ever since we launched. Right. So, um, that's so not... essentially we're putting out, we're, yeah. so we're, sorry, we're putting out, we're putting out, no, we're, no, that absolutely not. We, in fact, even through COVID, through the, the few, you know, two years, I guess, um, you know, where things were pretty bad. And, you know, Melbourne is a classic example. Victoria was like one of the highest lockdown cities in the world. Um, a lot of salons suffered, especially beauty in that, because they, they were locked down for longer than hair. Um, I think even throughout the entire COVID situation, uh, we only didn't publish one magazine, and that was a beauty biz edition. Mm. Um, and that was because it was just tough and we we didn't not publish because we um again we did research we I, I never kind of just you know think that I'm right because I you know I love print but mm. I'm not going to stick my head in the sand if people don't want it it's a business decision um mm. but when we spoke to a lot of people and said you know are you still getting your mail yes they were even though their salons might be closed do you still want to get the magazine? Oh my gosh, yes, because it's the only way that we can get all the information. And they still wanted to mm. feel part of that industry and they and they looked forward to receiving it. Um, from the product company point of view, none of the reps were on the road. So they, they really had very little way to communicate other than through media companies. So yeah. the fact that we could then say, you know, and look, we looked after them as well. We did we did a lot of free stuff over the year or two to try and kind of keep people, you know, um, going and and communicating and um, you know offered as much as we could. We did sort of podcasts, we did lives, we did all sorts of different things because we we were still operating. Yeah, they weren't. So it allowed us to be a voice for the people that couldn't be a voice um, in that one to two year period. Sure. Do, do you see a day where there won't be printed magazines? Um, I, mean, I hope not. You said in the Australian <laughs> market that they're, you know, that you're, you haven't yes. shrunk at all. Uh, that you've been very no, consistent. Not at all. Started. So uh, I'm, I'm just curious about that because I, I sort of I imagined think... the staff room of 20 years ago that the magazine arrived and it would be put on the staff room table and everyone would rip the cover off and, and want to flick through it and look <laughs> at it. But I'm imagining the staff yeah. room of today is got these young hairdressers in it that are scrolling through their phone when they don't have a client. And, you know, the, the instantaneous yeah. interaction with what they're seeing on Instagram is more important and maybe even more relevant to them than the magazine so i mean obviously i don't know it's just in yeah. my imagination i'm I'm sort of yeah that that's what staff rooms would be like so i'm intrigued about why you're 
um, not seeing that as something more in the future? I think it's just, um, I don't think there's one rule that fits all, to be honest. I mean, I think there would be some salons that probably, you know, would get it. The business owner would get the magazine, take it home. The staff wouldn't even see it. And and they're happy with that. And my Mm. advertisers are happy with that because that's who they want to get to. But then on the other hand, I think that there are other ones that, you know, I think we write off, you know, the Gen Z, the Gen Y, that a lot of those as, as being this instantaneous kind of, you know, um, not interested um, kind of group. But in actual fact, the ones that, you know, we've got some salons that we deal with quite closely who who themselves are, say, Gen Y, and they, they might employ Ys and Zs and, and get, so much out of them as long as they deal with them in the right way so if they nurture them and they take them along for the ride and they support them in you know shoots or education or mindfulness sessions in the morning I mean whatever they do it's kind of you know they've had to evolve as well so I think um I don't know what happens in the staff room anymore all I know is that um advertisers are still using us as a medium and they're getting results for that yeah. so somebody's got to be reading it i think yeah, that, yeah, um but yeah. but having said that we can't just go into somebody now and say you know book six full pages and, and it's going to cost you x amount and you know and that's going to be great for your brand they're very much more about return on investment i mean also because a big change in media has been and I mean, that's because I'm old now, older now, <laughs> but the marketing managers that we're dealing with in some of the larger companies are, are young and they're yeah. coming out with, you know, what they want out of a contract, what they want to see, how many eyeballs they want to get, what the followers are going to be, what, you know, so all this stuff, they speak in, in acronyms all the time, like yeah. it, it's a whole different language. Yeah. Um, so you have to kind of be on their level i guess and understand what they want out of that but also i believe that we also um have you know we have to do our own kind of due diligence and we have to we have a responsibility that if someone's going to give me some money to do something for them i've got to do it the right way so Mm -hmm. you know we can offer them um I guess by having all of these different media channels, we can offer a lot. And look, the young, a lot of the young ones that I'm seeing and I'm dealing with, we we have a lot of young, as I said, competitions and and um, you know programs that we run. They're just hungry for information. They yeah. um, and they will quite often comment on a story that they read. Um, you know, I think I think definitely in media. I mean, I, I've been involved in publishing for a long time so i've seen a lot of changes obviously Mm. from just from a production point of view when i first got involved in it we were still doing hand manual cut and paste as the there was no desktop publishing um and so that's changed massively um there are there are industries now that just don't exist that Mm. used to exist in the way that we used to publish so that tends to sell tell me that yeah things are definitely evolving and things are definitely changing Mm. um however I do also think that, you know, um, media has become such a broad thing um, and sometimes you just have to give people what they want and everybody at the moment in a media contract with a media company, they want us to give them everything. Um, yeah. And that's been hard. That that probably has been the toughest challenge I would say I've had in business because, you know, we were trucking along for quite a long time, you know, doing what we do and then suddenly in the last probably only 
maybe five, six years, we've had to suddenly, you know, create email databases out of nothing and create social media pages. And then, you know, when probably a year ago, maybe 18 months ago, we had something like 14 different um, Instagram accounts and Facebook accounts because when we started, nobody really knew what was happening. So we would have, you know, one for each magazine and one for each award and one for all different things. And so we had to make a very big decision 12 months ago and say, look, let's let's rebrand. My mm. company used to be called Mocker Publishing. It's now called Mocker Group. We mm. wanted to move away from just being seen as a publisher, yeah. even though that's essentially what we are. Um, we got rid of a lot of our Instagram and Facebook. Um, so then Mocker was the brand we wanted to promote. So we put a lot of those together and we now just have three, Mocker Hair, Mocker Barber and Mocker Beauty. And yeah. whether it's awards, competitions, um, social events, networking, magazine mm. stuff, anything, it just goes under those three. Yeah. Um, and that's a lot easier to manage. Yeah. I'm always thinking of it from the hairdresser's perspective, um, you know, me trying to have an overview of what the of what's happening at the yeah. salon level. And when I go back to, you know, to my day behind the chair, entering awards, doing photographs, all that sort of stuff, it was very much about you really wanted to get your work in print. There was nothing better than seeing your picture on the cover or, you know, double page spread inside. It was a real endorsement of, of who you are and what you did. And one of the interesting things about social media is it's enabled a lot of people to break through because there was no one vetting their work. There was there was no one saying you're good enough or not good enough. And that's been a really powerful thing about Instagram in particular, that anyone can can, you know, take pictures of the work they do, they can put it out there and uh and so they get a lot of endorsement um, and a lot of recognition from the amount of likes and followers and, you know, whatever that they get for their work that they're putting out there. And so I'm wondering from that perspective, again, getting back to young people and magazines, um, are they less interested? And I want to talk to you about awards in a minute, because I know you, you have awards and events that you do. Are young people today less interested in awards as being their recognition because they get their recognition from the wider field through social media and have total control over it? What are your thoughts about that? Um, I think there's two different types of recognition. There's consumer recognition from their clients and then there's peer recognition. And, and with not all of them, but with some of them, and I don't think this has ever really changed, there is a group and there will always be a group in my mind that that yearn that peer recognition. Mm -hmm. Peer recognition then comes in, in a couple of different ways. One is obviously um, to get recognition amongst your peers as to the work that you're doing, if, it's, if, if we're talking photographic. The photographic, the work that they do for competitions is very different to the work that they're going to quite often put up on socials of the work they're doing in the salon. So if they're, you know, really proud of, you know, an amazing balayage or something, look that they've done, they put that up and they get all their followers and they get all their likes. And, and if they own a salon and people come to the salon because of that, that's one thing. But when they get peer recognition, um, it's almost like then 
you know, somebody saying to them that that they're they are an artist, they are incredible at what they do. Um, and and with that can quite often then come a lot of other accolade. So it's not just about, wow, that looks great. It's mm. about, yes, that's great. You've become a finalist, you've won an award. Um, you quite often then through that can become a commodity which means that you can earn more money because you then have interest from product companies. Um, you know, I know a lot of salons that use things like awards, even instead of recruitment budget, because then they make it look so amazing that they want people to go, Oh my God, I'd love to go work for them. Look at, look at what they do. That's crazy. Mm. They're at fashion week or they're at, you know, so I think um, industry recognition is a very different game to consumer recognition for a salon and both are equally important to the other but not everybody is equally interested in both but there is still definitely a place i think that those creatives and there will always be those creatives because there are salons already that are creative and they nurture their staff to be the same and then you get your odd ones that kind of come out of nowhere that are just incredible in terms of creatives and usually hopefully will find themselves in a salon that will support that side of things as well Mm. um they are the ones that still want to see themselves on a front cover of a magazine or Mm. you know in a six-page spread or because that is then almost the ultimate for them um i think I think it, it's definitely a case of um, it's not one or the other, you know, because we've got, I, I could I could name some salons over here that don't enter awards, mm. that have incredible social um, platform yeah. that are very successful salons. Mm. Although sometimes they do tend to then enter our business awards because they can show how well they do with business, but they're not necessarily the ones, you know, doing the photo shoots. And, yeah. um, and, and I think as well, there is that, you know, I guess, it's it it touches on then the the ego side of the industry, which is to show that you have had a hand somewhat in, you know, forecasting hair fashion trends, um, and and that's a big thing. And, and mm-hmm. I think you know it's the same as, I guess, in any any kind of situation, whether it be fashion, whether it be hair, if it's trend based, music is the same. There have to be trailblazers in that, and those are the people because they're creatives um you know that may still love what they do in the salon on a daily Mm. basis but also want to really push the boundaries when it comes to creative and those are the ones that still love to see themselves in print and um you know um you know look look at some of the product companies they'll run competitions where they'll have you know salons can enter to you know create a, a, a a shop so that that company can then use those shots in their marketing and you know i think there is still it comes down to marketing it comes down to merchandising um but yeah there's a lot of different aspects i think as to why people would do a shoot i've always said to people that if you're going to do a shoot then you know entering an award is one thing obviously and we love that because we have the awards but at the same time you've also got to look at how else you can use that shoot can you use it in your marketing can you use it in your merchandising Mm. can you make it really pay for itself Mm. um because everything ultimately has to still come back to getting bums on seats in the salon if you're a business owner um and if you're just starting out as a creative then you know the ones when you talk to the top creatives in this industry they all started just kind of you know handing bobby pins to somebody else so Mm. (laughs) i think um I think there's a um, there's different groups within this industry in hair, especially. 
Mm. Um, and and I think there always probably will be. As to whether or not print will will see the distance, um, I can't see it changing massively in the foreseeable future. I think that if you have print magazines um, that are time-based, so newspapers, things that have, I mean, the magazine I first launched over here, um, which was called Rave, which was a street press um, music magazine, that's now gone um, mm. because it had a gig guide. And that's what most people, you know, used to go to their record store to pick it up and see what bands were playing where for that mm. week. I mean, you just pick up your phone to do that now. So they, the person that ended up um, owning that did not want to go digital and, mm. and it subsequently closed. Whereas I think for magazines like us, um, you know, generally speaking, it might have some stuff in there about events, but generally you could pick up that magazine at any time and read it, and be interested by what what's in it. Yeah. So it's not time-based. Okay. Um, and I think that makes a massive difference. Yeah. Well, I, I know that you've touched on events a couple of times, and I know that your business is also heavily involved in the events side of things. Tell us about what the different events are that you put on and how they're evolving as well because events are are changing so you know what 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 are the changes that you're seeing in uh putting in events on and how they're being uh impacted by technology because for example during covid a lot of events sort of became online events with varying degrees of success so uh t- tell us about your events side of your business um so we have four awards that cover all three areas. Our first one was the Beauty Awards, um, Australian Beauty Industry Awards, the ABIAs. Um, we launched those predominantly because there were no awards in the beauty industry. Um, I'd had some um, involvement in awards in the past. And uh, to be honest, we just had a lot of people come to us saying, can you do some awards? Because they didn't really have anything national. Um, so we went to Beauty Expo one year and um, put together a bit of a an idea of categories. Um, I wanted to make sure that the categories were all individually sponsored so there was not one major company. So it became a very collective event. I didn't actually know if it was going to come off, but we went and saw a few companies and said, look, would you be interested in sponsoring? And by the end of the two days at Beauty Expo, we'd sold every single category. We didn't even have an awards at that point. Mm-hmm. So then I had to kind of lock myself away and create the, the beauty awards. Um, the next one were the hair ones. Um, we used a lot of, we had the beauty ones for a couple of years before we launched the hair business ones. And I did the business ones pretty much the same reason that we did hair biz. I felt that, um, you know, at the time there was hair expo awards um, and there was AHFAs and they were both dealing just with creative nobody was really looking at the business side and business was my sort of forte and and the magazine was very much more business based um, and just felt that it would open it up to a lot of other salons that were running incredible businesses um, to have that award program. So we launched the um, AHIAs Uh, two years ago, we took over from Hair Expo um, and took over the Hair Expo Awards so that we could have the Creative Awards. And at the same time, we also launched the Australian Modern Barber Awards. Um, so I guess the creative ones were kind of the final piece in the puzzle. The, the Barber ones are a bit of a mixture of the two. So Barber, we have creative categories and business categories. It's a much smaller industry, so you can very easily kind of combine the two. Um, we, 
I guess we run them a little bit differently. It, they are run online and, and obviously everybody, anybody and everybody can enter. Um, but one thing that we do that I think is unique to us and probably our big point of difference is um, is how much time and effort we put into after the awards for our finalists and for our winners. So I, I've never wanted to just set up an awards program and, you know, have an amazing big night and everybody have a great time and give them a trophy and the trophy goes on a shelf and just gets dust and that's it. That's not what I'm about. Um, what we try to do is to make sure that everybody gets as much publicity as they possibly can as part of their prize package. So we, um, we have a PR company that we work with who's on contract to us 12 months of the year um, who works pretty much solely on um, getting PR for our winners. So in turn, it means that whether we get them on, you know, breakfast TV the following day or whether we get them into a newspaper online or print or if we get them various other opportunities, um, it, it's a massive, it is, it's a huge investment for us, mm. but it's also, um, you know, it, it's not just about, you know, every single winner gets their own personalised press release. They get like a how-to um how to get PR kind of like a you know 101 sort of thing we give them lists and details of local media in their areas we we really try to work them through showing them how to put a press release together all that kind of stuff so it's not just enter the awards win the award see you later until next year um we work with them quite closely and give them as much publicity in trade as well as um in consumer um so that was partly one of the driving forces i think behind and certainly from that i think because people see what we do with that then the award programs are all definitely growing yeah um, so, so your events are all about awards there's no um there's no trade fair we, so to speak. no so basically when hair expo closed um we took over the awards and intermedia who owns instyle they took over hair festival which is called mm. now and that is a trade show um we kind of came at that together i was looking at i'd been speaking to reed um and we were kind of in the process of us looking at taking over everything i didn't really want to do the trade show i just wanted to do the awards intermedia popped up and said that they'd be interested in the trade show mm. so well, let me we ask kind you about of came that, together. Yeah. Let me ask you about that that trade show uh, side of things because I'm intrigued by that as well as you know we've both been in the industry a long time, yeah. um, and one thing that's been happening over the years, many years, is that trade fairs have just been getting smaller and smaller and smaller um, because of the internet. Uh, and pre-COVID, you always sort of got the feeling that no matter where you were in the world, that the trade event was was getting smaller and looking for ways to sort of reinvent itself. And now we've come out the other end of COVID. Um, there's that sort of, you know, are they going to continue in the way they were? Is there still a need for them? Lots of people seem to be stepping back a little bit from those, you know, big events um award events education events uh you know trade fairs and looking for a new way forward what what, what are your thoughts about that what do you see happening I, I i agree i absolutely agree i think um you know hair expo used to be a three-day trade show um it was pretty big it was across two three halls or whatever 
Um, Hair Festival came on board with Intermedia. They've only had one. So they did, they were supposed to launch in 2021. Um, and then because of COVID issues, they didn't do 21. So they really only launched in, tw- in this year in 2022. They mm. will be back in 2023. Um, we always have our creative awards on on the last night. Um, we didn't cancel actually in 2021, and we were super lucky because we we had it in a window um, on in June on the weekend where um, Melbourne just got out of lockdown like three days before, and then Sydney went in about four days after. So we just snuck in in this little window, um, but still had a huge event, amazing event, and I think. Um, that was more to do with the fact that a lot of people hadn't seen each other for over a year. So everyone was super excited to get together. Um, Her festival was, was a little bit different. It was in a different venue. It was at carriage works in um, Sydney, which is as it sounds an old carriage works, like an old railway kind of works. And it was kind of had, you know, kind of had that cool vibe sort of about it. Um, There was education. um, There were certainly stands. There were, I think probably the biggest, um, takeaway difference would be, you know, the big names are not necessarily there anymore. If you took, if you look at the big four or five companies, um, you know, they definitely are doing things differently. They were all there, but didn't necessarily have a stand. They probably, mm. they did a few things differently where they had a day, um, which was a bit more seminar conference style. And some of the major product companies kind of supported that. Um, so they still supported it in a different way, but without an actual stand and i think that's where things have changed um Mm. you know it has also opened it up to some of the smaller brands that that definitely did support and um and be there but i think and look it's not my business but i think they're going to have to continuously um evolve and reinvent and look at different ways that they can do things um but, you know, I mean, they still got decent numbers. I think it was just, um, you know, they've only had the one, I guess, over here. But I, I think, you know, the days of, you know, for us, sort of, you know, 12,000 people coming in through a couple of days and, you know, massive exhibition stands and, you know, of the big companies and all the wholesalers and all the rest of it. And I mean, I remember even walking around Salon International, like that style thing. I think that's definitely changed. Um, education, I think, is a tough one because... Um, you know, everybody has got has been quite spoiled in the last couple of years of getting a lot of education and a lot of free education online. Mm. So that's become, I think, difficult. However, you know, there are still people that are, I think also it's the opposite way where some people have been so starved of human interaction in the last couple of years. Some people are like, can't wait to get back out and, and get some yeah. real you know, face-to-face education. Mm. Um, because what I'm seeing at the moment, certainly, you know, the individual um, educators are all back up and running and and doing well. Um, it's probably the bigger, the bigger ones are tough. We we used to run um, an event called Hebis Forum. Uh, we haven't run it for the last couple of years, obviously because of COVID. Um, the jury's still out at the moment as to whether we will bring it back. We we probably won't bring it back in the format that we used to do it we ran it for a good seven or eight years um it was basically a live version of the magazine so we would have a full day we would always have um, a headline act that would come out from the uk um as in hair creative that would do you know show on on stage but we used to mix it up so we would usually have three business speakers three hair shows maybe a team or maybe an interview situation so 
it was very much like the magazine to yeah. be honest but just a live version of that um but the last one that we did even though we used to get good numbers um it, it's a huge amount of work mm. and from a commercial point of view for very little return yeah, um yeah. you know and there's only so much you can do it, it's like from a sponsorship point of view um as far as what a company gets i guess with the awards compared to what they get with education and and this is i don't know bone of contention i guess um awards they get a lot longer bang for their buck because we do a lot of stuff before they've got the night they've got the after they've got all the photos they've got all that kind of stuff and but to get product companies nowadays to spend money on um education is quite hard unless it's on their own um i think at the moment they're 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 all very much um wanting to look after the clients they've got initially first and foremost and that's taken precedent over getting new i mean obviously they're all still trying to get new ones as well but for us um you know we needed sponsorship and we got the sponsorship um but when you're talking about putting on four or five shows with models and with everything else and then also your business speakers and we used to have the little stands for all the um sponsors and you know we'd have anywhere between three to five hundred people in the room um it would take six months lead up it was a massive two three days and then on the night we would have the business awards um you mentioned before we start to wrap up i just want to touch on a couple of things to give yeah. you more perspective because again, <laughs> as i said at the beginning you know, I think that that someone in your position has a good overview of what's happening in the industry from lots of different perspectives. And so I want to ask you about recruitment, and you touched on it already, and you said something which I would agree with, um, but I think maybe it's got worse, and, and that is that there's always been recruitment problems. Um, yeah. I think right at the beginning of my career, there definitely wasn't. There was there was quite the opposite. But we're talking at the end of the 70s. And there was a, a lot of kids that wanted to get into hairdressing. And it was this, you know, the, it was a transition period uh, into salons that were, and I hate this term, but the unisex salon, because, you know, before that, it was, you know, the barber <laughs> and the beauty salon. And now we've yeah. gone back again to sort of segregating the two uh, largely, which I think is a really good idea. Um, but at that point in time, there was, you know, a lot of people, you know, queuing up to get into this industry. And for a long time, it hasn't been like that. So what I wanted to ask you about was what are the trends that you're seeing around recruitment? Are you seeing anything interesting that's happening to, you know, try and solve that problem at a, at a salon level or at a national level? Um Possibly the one change that we've seen in the last few years would be the employment of salon assistants more so than apprentices coming in. Um, okay. There's some pretty alarming figures of apprentices and, and how many um, don't complete their apprenticeship. I think mm. sometimes they start, but they just don't always stop. Yeah. Um, and so there, there's definitely been a shift. I mean, I know quite a few salons that have still got their core staff of their qualified, you know, um, stylists, but then what they will do is that they will then employ salon assistants um, who will come in and do, I guess, and, and, and it works twofold. They'll still have apprentices, but they will employ salon assistants and those assistants will do the stuff that maybe a first year used to do. Um, you know, they can teach them how to wash hair, they can, you know, up, they can be the team tidy, they can do all that stuff, which then also means that they can put more time into their apprentices, 
actually training them how to do hair rather than mm-hmm. you know for the first year just doing nothing and subsequently i think in some cases why some of them leave because they don't love it so they try and maybe yeah. so just to be clear know, get when them you're... to love it earlier on so, so just to be clear, when you're talking about assistants, you're talking about assistants that don't intend to be hairdressers. They are just assistants. Quite often, some of them, yeah, I think some of them, um, you know, some of them may well go on to deciding that they may want to have an apprenticeship. But right, there okay. are also, um, there's also a, a lot of people out there that are looking for work that may not look for full-time work. Um, sure. We've got a... Um, one of the things that started not long ago, um, which Clive Allwright um, started up over here, which is a thing called Pillaroo. Um, and basically it is an online kind of thing where, where they, it's it's face-to-face as well, but they will bring people in, they will train them, they will give them a period of time to train them to be a salon assistant. And if you get to work and suddenly find that, you know, two of your staff are off, then you can get in touch with them and you can get a salon assistant to come into the salon. So mm-hmm. it's to help with that. Quite often they can be overseas students, they can be, you know, they can have other jobs. You might get somebody who's a doctor that just wants, you know, instead of they don't want to go and drive an Uber for, you know, three nights a week, but they'd be quite happy to work on a Saturday or maybe after hours in a salon because they Mm. can still get paid and they can, you know, so that's something that is new. It's not everywhere, um, Mm. but it's definitely something that um, is changing where people are employing non-hairdressers in a hair salon. Um, that certainly can't really happen in beauty, obviously, because it's that's not going to work because they need their qualification. But in terms of just some basic stuff that that's happening, I think the the sweet situation that we always talk about. Um, there are some companies that have um, suites in different states here. It's it's not huge. Um, there is a little bit of a um, you know some people are now looking at um, you know working in salons as sole operators, rent a chair, all that kind of stuff. Um, I, I remember talking to a few people from the US maybe four or five years ago saying, oh, it's going to come to Australia. It's going to be everyone. Everything's going to be rent a chair. And that hasn't happened. Um, mm. And I don't think it will in Australia, but it's definitely there. It's just not maybe grown as quickly as what some people thought it would. There are suites definitely where sole operators i think one of the biggest areas that we have is um the the number of sole operators has grown um you know some have incredibly amazing salons at their homes or you know wherever um and it's quite a big market that we're having to look at um you know we we introduced a category actually called um best sole operator um, which was a new one two years ago, which some people didn't love the idea of, but we make sure that they have to meet criteria. They have to have a premises of sort. They have to put pictures of that up. They have to be ABN registered, which means they need to have a registered business name yeah. um, with the, the taxation office. So, you know, we're not trying to get backyard ones. We do want bona fide ones, but um, mm. I think there's more people doing that a lot of people have got used to working from home so they're kind of doing that maybe that's partly down to why we have shortage but um you know there's a there's a there's a there's a there's a change it's a bit of a wave but it certainly isn't you know oh my god in two years time 50 percent of the industry is going to be someone sweet or rent a chair that that's yeah. not happening yeah yet okay. i mean i'm i don't have a crystal ball but it's not i don't think it's been adopted as quickly as it has in other countries right okay 
Let me ask you this question. When you look outside the Australian market, what do you see that is happening in other countries that you wish the Australian market in terms of the hairdressing industry uh, would adapt more? Is there anything? Um, it's hard to look at different countries and, and try and compare because Australia is such a, you know, it, it's such a unique country. Um, the distance for one thing, you know, it's all very well saying let's put on some education um, because everybody can get to us within two to three hours, even if they're on a train, if they're in the UK. Whereas with us, you know, if they're coming from Perth, they got to fly for six hours. I mean, it, it's logistically... I, I don't think you can really compare it. I think that, um, you know, I, I guess we're, we're very much onto our own, which isn't really answering your question, but I, I look at other countries all the time to see what they're doing. Um, and I think that we we are definitely kind of holding our own. I think from a creative point of view, we've always been seen to be kind of up there as well. Um, you know, I see the way that the U.S., has moved i guess more so in the the you know but their, their whole system with employment has always been so different to us anyway so mm. um i think that you know sometimes i think some salon owners feel that they can be a bit restricted because there are lots of laws around what they have to do and and how much they have to pay and mm. and all those things and maybe a bit of flexibility would be good but at the same time it also protects the employee E and and I don't think that's a bad thing either. I think probably one of the issues, and I don't know how this relates to overseas, is that um, a lot of the time all those additional benefits that we have to pay um, to an employee because of award rates, because of all those different things, can put a lot of pressure on um, on any salon owner. And I think they get, you know, the small business owner in Australia definitely gets hammered a lot. Mm. Um, and after COVID, you know, that's the worst thing that you can possibly do. Um, so no, I don't, I don't really look overseas. I mean, like I said, I went to the awards, I went to the British hairdressing awards and there were certainly a few things there that I really liked that I will adopt. Um, I love the fact that they brought everybody out on stage and all the finalists got their round of applause and their two seconds of fame kind of thing. And, um, we, we we don't really do that. So there, that was one thing. There was there, there was a few things that I loved. There was a few things that I didn't. And so yeah, I'll 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 always look at what everyone else is doing. But from a business perspective, I just I think it's it's trying to you know look at apples and pears. Right. We're so different over here because of our distance and um and our employment laws mm. um that make things easier in some way, but also can put a lot of pressure on the business owner. In, sure. in another. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, we need to start wrapping up. It's been really interesting talking with you. Whereabouts can people connect with you on Instagram or other social media channels? Um, probably the easiest because all of our links are on our website. So our website is mockagroup.com.au. Mocha group. Yeah, just like the coffee. So the website is www.mockagroup.com.au. Um, our socials are, are the same, whether it's Facebook or whether it's Instagram. Um, we have Mocha Hair, Mocha Beauty and Mocha Barber. But all of those links are on our website as well, um, as well as details for how to get in touch with us um, in any way. Okay, well, I will put those links uh, on our website, growmysalonbusiness.com and in the Lovely. show notes for today's podcast. 
Uh, if you're listening to this podcast with Linda Woodhead and have enjoyed it, then do me a favor, take a screenshot on your phone, share it to your Instagram stories. And don't forget to subscribe and leave us a rating and review on the Apple Podcast app. So to wrap up, Linda, thank you ever so much for being on this week's episode of the Grow My Salon Business Podcast. Thank you. I really enjoyed it, actually. It's been lovely. Good to see you again. I think I'm going to see you later this year as well. You'll be you'll be down under, I gather. I am. I am. I think in June. Yes. So I will look forward to yeah. that. Yeah, awesome. Oh, well, you can come to the awards. My guest. <laughs> Thanks again. <laughs> Good to chat. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you'll find us at growmysalonbusiness.com or on Facebook and Instagram at growmysalonbusiness. And if you enjoyed tuning into our podcast, make sure that you subscribe, like, and share it with your friends. Until next time, this is Anthony Whitaker wishing you continued success.